All right, Mark chapter 14. Uh, we're going to start reading at verse 26 in a moment. And uh, we are picking off, picking off? We are picking up right where we left off last Sunday. Uh, if you were with us last Sunday, we, um, uh, one of our elders, Michael, was up here teaching us from God's word, and we considered uh, the Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples enjoyed together on the night before his crucifixion. And as they enjoyed this Passover meal, Jesus really made that to be the first uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper. That he, he gave them instructions that, that we continue to follow today as Christians, where we take the bread and the juice and remember what Jesus has done. And so it's Thursday evening of the last week on earth of Jesus' earthly life. They are gathered in this upper room celebrating the Passover meal together. Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper, and we pick up the story right there, verse 26, after the supper. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, just outside Jerusalem. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written in the Old Testament, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all, they all said the same. Um, as I studied this passage this week, at least two uh, scholars, uh, people that study the Bible and, and write commentaries and such, at least two, maybe three of the scholars that I studied this week uh, used the word bravado in regards to Peter's language here. Um, one of them uh, or talked about egotism. And here's the de uh, de definition on the screen of bravado. A pretentious, swaggering display of courage, a show of exaggerated boldness intended to impress or intimidate. The disciples um, protest here. Jesus says uh, that they're going to be scattered, that they will fall away. And the disciples here protest out of loyalty. But really, the way that this protest happens, it's, uh, it really makes it clear to us that what we've seen throughout Mark is continuing, that, that they still are really unseeing about what's really going on, and, and that, that as his followers, they're really unready, not ready, um, for what is ahead. Uh, back in chapter 8, we studied back in chapter 8, Jesus explained to his followers that he would soon suffer and die, and Peter decided he should rebuke Jesus and say, that will never happen to you. And then here, in this passage, uh, now Jesus is quoting Scripture. He's quoting the Bible and saying, you will fall away. And so again, in the Scripture passage we just read, Peter goes against Jesus. And, and in and going against Jesus' declaration of what will happen, Peter really insinuates Jesus to be a false prophet or a liar 
where is this coming from? Peter insinuates, and even in saying, oh, even if the rest of them fall away, I will not. So he really throws the rest of the followers of Jesus under the bus. They're all a disaster, but I got this. Jesus' call on his disciples, Jesus' call on us as followers of Jesus is to take up our cross, die to self, put aside the old self, put aside our sinful nature, repent, and turn to him. Jesus' call in our lives is to die to our old selves and live for him by loving God and loving others. And instead, here, by these words of Peter's, it would seem that Peter is relying on his own strength, his own power, his own abilities. I can do this. On the surface, it seems loyal, his words. On the surface, it seems loyal, and it seems like the right thing to do. To say, yeah, we're with you, Jesus. That that won't happen. We won't fall away. On the surface, it seems like perhaps a good thing for them to say, but their claims are tainted with ego. They they don't have a clue what's ahead. They don't know how difficult they are. They haven't got their minds around how difficult it will be and that they won't be able to do it on their own. I have come to situations uh, thinking I knew it all. And, and, and started spouting my mouth and making changes only to learn the hard way that I didn't know at all. Uh, I have been in situations where I, uh, perhaps you have, I have been in situations where I have pretended to know something in order to not come across looking dumb. Um, I have uh, definitely at times in life expected things to go a certain way, uh, expected that I would receive things or respect that I had not yet earned. So when has bravado gotten the best of you? When have you exaggerated in order to impress? Has arrogance ever Um, caused you to seek greatness for yourself rather than humbly serving others. That's what seems to be going on here with Peter. All right, back back to the passage. Verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane is an olive grove with an olive press on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives, just outside the, the gates of Jerusalem. You would leave the gates of Jerusalem and cross the Kidron Valley, and on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives, you would find the Garden of Gethsemane, a, an, an olive grove. Verse 32, they've come to this place called Gethsemane, and Jesus says to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him his these, two, uh, these three disciples, his closest disciples, he took with him Peter and James and John and began, Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Knowing what is ahead, for him, 
Jesus genuinely, I think, wants his closest friends with him. He's starting to grapple with the reality of what is in store the next day. And he goes to the garden and he has in mind to pray and to spend time with with God the Father. And so he brings his friends along with him. Verse 35. And going a little further, Jesus fell on the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Some, some have wondered when they hear these words of Jesus, have we just seen a moment of weakness from the God-man? Have we just seen weakness from, from God's very Son sent to be with us and sent to rescue us? Is this indicator that he doesn't really like the idea of what's ahead? Uh, is this an indicator of weakness? No. I think what it is, is another amazing opportunity as we study the book of Mark, and we've called this series uh, God-Man because Jesus is fully God and fully human. I think this is a glimpse, yet again, a glimpse of Jesus' humanity, that he absolutely is real human, identifying with us. He knows what's ahead And he says, man, God, everything is possible for you. So if there's any other way we could do this, I might be a fan. That might be a good idea. And that sounds like a very human response to me. That sounds like a perfectly reasonable human response to me. Not a weak, not a response of weakness. Jesus is being handed this cup. The language in our scripture there is he asks God to take this cup from him. What this is referring to is the cup is uh, this, this upcoming death on the cross. He is to bear the weight of God's wrath poured out against sin. And he says, yeah, could you take that cup away? God's wrath against sin will be poured out on Jesus. Jesus will be paying the price, paying the penalty that our sin deserves. Even though he never did anything wrong, even though he had never sinned, God is directing his wrath upon Jesus for our sake. And Jesus' humanity was not looking forward to being the one to take the world, the weight of the world's sin upon himself. And yet, he says, not what I will, but what you will. So what's greater than the realities of what he's facing, yes, he would love another solution, but ultimately, Jesus is submitted to the Father. Even within the Trinity, even within the Godhead, even within Father, Son, and Spirit, we have equally God, and yet you see here Jesus in submission to the Father, willing to do the Father's work because knowing that God knows best, that God's plan is good. Verse 37, Jesus came and found them 
sleeping. I think at first we want to make excuses for him, don't we? Well, it's late at night. It's dark outside. I always nod off when it's dark outside. It would have been so easy to fall asleep. They were tired. Jesus was off by himself. Maybe they didn't really realize the seriousness of the situation. They didn't understand what was going on. And I I just think before we go making excuses, let's consider um, the fact that Jesus has repeatedly foretold his coming death. And, And he had just moments ago said, I am sorrowful. I am overwhelmed with sorrow. I am sorrowful to the point of death. This isn't just like, hey guys, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I think Jesus is making it clear. Hebrews 5.7 tells us this. During the days, it's on the screen, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. I think the disciples were within earshot, probably within, within being able to see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they can see and hear the agony that Jesus is up against. Verse 37, and Jesus came and found them sleeping. And Jesus said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so again, Jesus went away from the group again and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came back to the disciples and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time. So Jesus had gone away to pray yet again. Verse 41 tells us he came back to them the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man, that's him, is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So what does God have for us this morning? I think first and foremost, or first, it's a simple reminder that we are willing but weak. Verse 38, Jesus tells the disciples, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is talking here about, you know, the fact that our our heart, our thoughts, our desires, our attitudes might be willing, but our flesh, and this is not talking about my physical body as much as it's talking about my sinful nature, my, my human nature, my sinful nature is weak. I may have ideas of what I want to do. I might have desire to follow Jesus, but my human nature is weak. In preparing, for this, um, in preparing for this message, I thought of a song that we probably all know. And since I am not a singer, you need to join in as quickly as possible. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. They are weak. Okay, that's good. (laughs) You guys are beautiful. I do not want to continue. 
they are weak, but he is strong. And it's not just they, is it? It's we. We are weak. We are unable to back up our talk with our walk. And that's what happened in our passage, I think, with Peter and the disciples. The disciples and all of us place too much confidence in our own abilities. Verse 31. Peter said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all his friends said the same. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, Peter does end up denying Jesus. They all abandon him. They all scatter, just like he says they will. So it indeed was bravado to proclaim with black and white force. I don't know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) It was bravado to, to proclaim as if fact that they would not deny, that they would not scatter because we know that they do. And, and we rely on our own ability as well, don't we? We have too much confidence in our own abilities as well. Well, now that I'm following Jesus, I'm putting all that behind me. Everything from here is going to be smooth. Oh, Ten Commandments? No problem. I can, I can meet those. I can obey those. I can manage those. I can be a good person. Or what else do we say to things to ourselves? Like, uh, well, you know, even if I struggled with that sin for years, it won't be a problem. I got this. We place too much confidence in our own abilities. What else do we see in our passage? Verse 27, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus here is not saying that his disciples uh, will lose their faith or lose their salvation, and he doesn't say that to us. And, and he doesn't say to us that we will necessarily betray, that, that he doesn't say to his disciples that they will betray to the extent that Judas betrays. But he's saying you will fall away. You will lose courage. You'll abandon me. You won't be able to stand with me when the going gets tough. The disciples and all of us sometimes abandon, deny, and fall asleep. Uh, Man, if you're going to actually talk about actual sleep here, and I think sleep is not just actual sleep here. Sleep is a metaphor. But if we're going to talk about actual sleep, what comes to my mind is my desire to spend time with God by reading the Word and spending time in prayer. And if you do that at the wrong time of the day, that's an easy time to fall asleep. We all will abandon, we all will deny, we all will fall asleep. But one of the people I studied this week, a commentator, suggests to us that to sleep is also these things. To sleep, when, when, when when the situation is tough, when following Jesus is tough, and he says, watch and pray, when he says, stay awake, when he says, when he comes back and finds them sleeping and is frustrated, Uh, This commentator suggests that here are some things that that looks like. To sleep is to stop praying. To sleep as we follow God. To sleep 
when, when the going gets tough, to sleep when Jesus says, follow me. One of the ways that looks in our lives is when we stop praying. Sleep also looks like the inability to recognize a trial or accept it as God's will when we come across difficulties in life, when we face suffering, when we face hardship. We don't, if, if, if we don't even recognize it or if we don't um, accept it as something that God has for us, that's sleeping on what he has for us. When we allow bravado to mask our weakness, when we, when we proclaim bravado and, and, and try to portray something that we're not, when we, when we allow that to mask our weakness, it stops us from asking for the help we need. That's to sleep when Jesus wants us to watch him pray. And I think another way that we sleep sometimes as we follow Jesus is that we um, assume that we've arrived. And I, I just, I'm a frequent, I, I, I frequently am reminded of this the hard way myself, and so I frequently want to remind you, my friends that follow Jesus, that you will not arrive as a follower of Jesus until you look Jesus in the eyes. We don't arrive. You don't choose to follow Jesus and, whoop, I'm a Christian and everything's good. I'm a perfect guy. I wish, but you don't arrive. And when we think we've arrived, then we're sleeping. We will all sometimes abandon, deny, and fall asleep. We are weak, but what? But he is strong. In the face of trial, suffering, adversity, feeling overwhelmed, when we're stressed, when we're afraid, we understand, we resonate with, we have felt weak. So now let's look to our rescue, our ultimate example. How is he so strong? What do we see of Jesus in this passage? In this passage, we see that Jesus is disciplined in prayer and dependent on the Father. So when we face difficulty and trial and adversity and suffering, we have to recognize first that we are weak. And most of us, when we think about it and we're honest with ourselves, we know that. We get that we are weak. But now we get to look to and cling to and be reminded of the fact that he, Jesus, is strong. And here he is in our passage. We see that in the fact that he is disciplined in prayer and dependent on the Father. Was this an easy situation for him in the Garden of Gethsemane? Would he have preferred another option? Yes. But what does he do? How does he react? He's disciplined in prayer. He's dependent on the Father. And he's willing to do what God says because he knows that's God's best for his good and for his glory. Verse 36, Jesus shows us that attitude, that posture when he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. When Jesus was distressed, sorrowful, to the point of death, what does he do? He prays, he stays, and he trusts. Isn't it amazing that Jesus, God himself, Jesus, the God-man, Jesus, Son of God, in his time on earth, spent time in prayer with the Father? So then, so much more don't we need to spend time in prayer with the Father. Even Jesus was connected in prayer 
And so that's an area of our lives as followers of Jesus where we need to be mindful of, where we need to be striving to grow in prayer and spending time in prayer and learning to pray. Jesus also stayed. He didn't scatter in the face of this task to rescue all of humanity, in, this, in the face of the task of bearing the weight of the world on his shoulders, in the face of bearing God's wrath against sin, Jesus stays. He doesn't scatter. He doesn't run away. He stays the course for us. And we're going to talk about that more in a second. And he also, he prays, he stays, and he trusts. We just saw his words. He humbly submits himself to God's good purposes and plan. That's how Jesus handled this dire situation. What about us? What does Jesus want for us? His words in the passage we're studying this morning in Mark are clear. In the fa- as we face the trials of life, Jesus urges us to watch and pray. Verse 38 says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. My friends, Faith Church, God doesn't want our bravado. He wants us devoted to him. He doesn't want big words. He doesn't want selfish desires. He wants us devoted, committed, dependent on him because our human nature our sin nature is weak then we must fight this with our, our spiritual battles with spiritual focus with spiritual discipline with spiritual concentration and man i think about this i think about jesus urges us to watch and pray and i think he this is this is difficult i am weak he is helping me but i am weak so it's going to take focus and concentration, and discipline. And I think about what I'm disciplined about. I'm disciplined about making sure that every uh, Tuesday we see the latest episode of This Is Us. I'm disciplined about that. It's a great show, by the way. I'm disciplined about knowing the fact that spring training just started on Tuesday, and that pitchers and catchers reported, and that... uh, Buster Posey and Andrew McCutcheon walked into Scottsdale training room together, and as they walked in there together, that was, oh, by the way, the 2012 MVP of baseball and the 2013 MVP of baseball now playing on the same team. Oh, but I digress. But I'm disciplined about knowing that stuff. And I know I used this example recently in a way, but if I'm disciplined about that stuff, and what is it for you that we're disciplined about, that we're focused on, that we have concentration on, and do we put that similar, same kind of commitment into our walk with Jesus, into being dependent on him, into being uh, disciplined in prayer? 1 Timothy 4 is on the screen. I love this passage. Train yourself for godliness. Work out. Practice godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, physical working out your body, physical practice of your sport is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for present life and also for the life to come. That's what I want to work out. That, that's what I want to go to practice for. I love basketball. I'm coaching basketball right now, and we go to practice multiple times a week to work on basketball and to get better, right? 
And some of you practice an instrument and we're disciplined about the TV shows we watch and we have hobbies that we put a lot of focus and concentration in. And then what does it look like in our spiritual life? Does our spiritual life, does our commitment to God, does our discipline in prayer, does our walking with Jesus have similar structure? Do we see that and we say godliness is of value in every way, this life and after this life? That's what I want to be devoted to, training toward, working on. So as followers of Christ, when Jesus urges us to watch and pray, we have an opportunity to watch and pray. But not on your own. But not on your own strength. Not on your own power. I never want you to walk out of here thinking that I said, work harder, try harder, do more, you don't pray enough, read your Bible. All those things might be true, but it's all what you work out as you depend on the Lord's strength and his working in your life. Jesus urges us to watch and pray. We have the Spirit of God living within us, empowering us to watch and pray. Sometimes we get, uh, don't we sometimes think, oh, wouldn't it have been great to be one of the disciples, one of the 12 disciples? I mean, Jesus was there with them. They got to see him. They got to touch him. They got to follow in his literal footsteps. So sometimes we're disappointed that we don't have Jesus physically present with us. But friends, even better, Jesus said, when I go away, I will send to you the helper, the counselor, the spirit of God to indwell and empower you. We absolutely do have God with us. The Spirit of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God lives within you, empowering you and enabling you to follow Jesus. So when Jesus urges us to watch and pray, yes, it's a command. Yes, it's something that we can be devoted to. Yes, it's something that we ought to put effort into. But when Jesus urges us to watch and pray, he also gives us everything we need. The power of God at work in us. In my years of following Jesus, I have, uh, God has shown me uh, my sinfulness in various areas over and over again. In my years of following Jesus, God convicts me of my sin, reveals to me where I am broken and where I go astray and where I go against him. And by God's grace and by the Holy Spirit working in me over the years of following Jesus, I have seen God give me victory over sin, freedom from sin. I have seen him change me. I have seen him give me a new heart, new mind, and new attitudes. I am far from perfect. I am still in prog a work in progress. I'm still a mess in certain ways. He still convicts me of sin. I still go to friends just a few days ago and apologize for my inability. But God is at work. And I have grown in my faith as I have, as I have put myself in the hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. And this is a, this is a, a picture I love to talk about. Uh, and well, I'm sure we'll talk about it again. 
we have an opportunity as we follow Jesus, the Spirit empowers us, he is, he is working in us, but we have an opportunity also to put ourselves in hallways where the Holy Spirit is active. There are places that the, the Bible teaches us that there are, are areas that, where the Spirit is particularly active. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit. And you always will. But there's also things that we, that we do that put ourselves in the way of the Spirit's activity. God says the Spirit is active in the writing of this book. And so when we soak ourselves in the, wor- wor- in the words of this book, we are putting ourselves in a hallway where the Spirit is active and can fill us and teach us and change us. Does that make sense? When we put ourselves in the hallways of the Holy Spirit. So that's where you have an opportunity to grow. That's where I continue to grow in Jesus as we put ourselves in hallways where the Spirit is active. One of those is prayer. We know that the Spirit of God intercedes for us, talks with God on our behalf. And so when we put ourselves in a posture of prayer, when we talk to our Heavenly Father in prayer, we are putting ourselves in a hallway where the Holy Spirit is active and where the Spirit can can catch us and fill us and teach us and mold us and shape us. We put ourselves in a hallway where the Spirit is active when we use our spiritual gifts. Each of you is Spirit-empowered and gifted to serve and give the church family something that, that you can give us, something that the body is the most healthy when you are contributing. And so when we serve our church family, when we use our spiritual gifts, our time and our energy and our talents to serve Jesus by serving other people, we put ourselves in a hallway where the Spirit is active and where we can be increasingly aware and empowered by the Spirit. And so these are the places I want to urge you to consider that as you uh, desire to walk with Jesus. Do you, do you spend time in prayer? Do you repent of sin? Do you forgive and ask for forgiveness? Do you study the Word? Do you seek out a mentor? Or have you already arrived? Do you invest in your relationship with your spouse, with your kids? Do you use your spiritual gifts to serve your church family? Yes, we should be disciplined. God wants us to be actively involved in our growth. There is a part that we play to growing to pursuing God, to striving to grow in our faith. But nothing we do is on our own strength or on our own power. It's all God's work in us that changes us, and it's because of his great love and his amazing grace. While we were dead in our sins, God has made us alive through Jesus. We are weak, but... Yes, Jesus loves me. How do we know? The Bible tells us so. The greatest thing the Bible tells us about God's great love for us is that even when we fail him, Jesus went to the cross to rescue us. In our passage, in verse 41, Jesus said, It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. When we are weak, he is strong. When we fall asleep, Jesus 
looks directly into the cross and goes to it willingly for you, for me. We are weak, but he is strong. He heads directly into the storm and something that is important for, here's the last thing I'm gonna say. Here's something important for us as we study Mark in these coming weeks leading up to his death and resurrection. None of this sneaks up on Jesus. None of this is a surprise to him. His arrest, it's not an accident. Him going to the cross, it's not some oops. It's Jesus saying, look, my betrayer is at hand. It's time to go. When we are weak, he is strong. Let's pray. Father, we are weak and we know it. Life is full of difficulty and pain and hardship and suffering. We are weak. So Father, I pray that you would teach us now. As we consider what we've studied this morning, I pray that you would work in us, that you would change our hearts, that you would transform us more and more into the image of Jesus. We are weak, but you are strong. God, we look around our own lives and there's brokenness and pain and suffering. We look around our culture and there's brokenness and pain and suffering and hurting and thinking of that. Lord, we do this morning pray for those suffering from this week's tragedy in Florida. We pray for the families of victims. We pray for students. And God, we, we pray not about... We, we, we just pray that your love would abound to those who need you. We pray that your love would be poured out to those who are hurting. We pray that we and fellow Christians would be conduits of your love to those hurting. We are weak. We need you because you're strong. Father, for those of us here this morning that are not following you, God, I pray that they would know your greatness and your strength and your willingness to die so that they might live. So Lord, if there's anyone who is not walking with you, who has not been saved by you, God, I pray that your love would abound to them and that they would recognize their need for you and that they would turn to you in, in faith and receive salvation. And God, for those of us that have been following you, would you prompt us? Would you help us to grow? Would you not allow us to assume that we've arrived? Would you, would you help us to seek after you? Would you help us to, um, to practice, to train in godliness? And as we do, Lord, we are thankful that you are at work in us, that it's not our own efforts that save us, that it's not our own abilities, that we don't have to strive or earn your love, but God, that you are working in us to change us, to make us more like Jesus. We need you. We are weak. You are strong. We need you. We sing to you. We worship you. We give you our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.